Knock Who's There, it's the Has Been Hoops podcast brought to you by Chris and I who've had a few drinks today on a Sunday. I mean, this is a Sunday night, so we've got the wrap up, but um, big fella, how are you? <laughs> what's, going, what's going on in your world? It's, it's, no, it's been a bit, when you're in a pub and you have people come to visit and it's been incredible, it's, uh, you tend to have a beer or two on a Sunday afternoon, so uh, it's been a good afternoon. It's been a big week of basketball. We've had the basketball on at the pub, so we've uh, we've sat with locals, we've sat with people who know about basketball, and uh, it's been fun. But I'll tell you what, I, I'm going to jump off topic straight away. It's been interesting because uh, we finally had someone walk into the pub, and they made a couple of tall comments. Like it's been a, Trentham's incredible community; they've been so good, and yeah. And it was interesting, Andrew Bogut actually said during the week, you know, making comments about people's height is about seven steps less than making small talk. Like it just shows you've got nothing to say. Um, but anyway, I, I got to talking about my son, Ethan, who's six foot ten, and, you know, we've had a couple of chats about heights and how you deal with when people feel the need to comment. And um, I was telling a story because... He, in general, you know, whether you're small, skin colour, religion, race, well, that sort of thing, we don't comment. It's, it's generally considered a little bit rude to make comment of, uh, of those It's a bit taboo. Things. Yeah, it is. But um, height seems to be about the last one. So we're, 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 we've, we've been talking over the last six months. And, uh, you know, what? I won't go into the one where he was a little, he went a little bit over the edge, but the, the one that I enjoyed was I was at the supermarket and I'd done a talk and uh, for the Keysborough Basketball Association of all people. And at the end of the day, they gave me a hoodie at the end of the talk and it was a, it was a nice evening, but I thought, I, look, I can't wear a Keysborough Basketball hoodie around. But I, so I walked into 2XL and I said, Ethan, here you go, mate. Here's one to wear around the house. It's comfortable. It's good quality, all that sort of thing. So he said, thanks. He put on, he said, yeah, if you go to Fitz and, you know, when you're six foot ten, you get a free hoodie, it's, it's good. Um and so we, wanted, we went on about our evening and uh, we had to go to the shops. And I thought, okay, oh, mate, let's go to the supermarket, let's go shopping. And uh, so we went down and I did my thing. He got all of his rubbish that he that he buys. And I happened to turn the corner of the, in an aisle that he was in. He was getting two-minute noodles. And there was a guy literally tugging on his shirt, on his hoodie that he's been wearing. And, he, and we've always said to him, look, Ignore them, ignore them, ignore them, but you know, never start anything. If they do step out of line, yeah, you're more than welcome to, 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 to say something back. So he stood there and the guy's tugging on his shirt, mate, how tall are you? You must play basketball and you ignored him. Mate, you must play basketball. What basketball team do you play for? He ignored him. Sort of looked over his shoulder at one and said, no, mate, I don't play basketball. And there's only so long you can look at two-minute noodles for before you got to go. And so far, and this is a grown man, he must have been in his 40s and recalls. And so Ethan finally does what he needs to do to leave the conversation that he was, unco- he was uncomfortable in. And of all the nights, and Ethan could not be less interested in basketball than what he is, but he had this Keysborough basketball hoodie on that I'd just given him. And, I'm, and the guys looked at him, he's gone, mate, you're full of shit. And this stage, I start going to jump in here. Hang on a second. No, no, no. You can't say that to my son. I said, you're full of shit. He said, why wouldn't you just tell me you play basketball instead of lying? And Ethan stopped in his tracks from walking away. 
and I love him for so many things, but I, I might have even loved him a little more for his comeback. He turned around and said, mate, i got a fucking Batman hoodie too. I'm not fucking Batman. <laughs> I thought that's the best comeback I've ever heard and I didn't even work on it with him. So, um, no, we, we just talking about a few times in pubs and with the, the staff are across it and, you know, the community so good it never comes up. But when it does, we, we're having a little bit of fun with the height jokes. So not sure how that started. It's a really interesting way to start a podcast with a lot of basketball hey, talk about. But- mate, I every time I hear, uh, because uh, like you said, Ethan's had a few comments and I love them still every single time I hear them. I think they're the best. Um, we'll get on to it. We'll, we'll start off with the NBL. And the biggest news I think coming out of this round is Anthony Lamb has ruptured his Achilles. Um, the Breakers come into Perth, beat Perth. Anthony Lamb plays a bit over eight minutes and ruptures his Achilles. Now, this is a team that I thought if anyone in that bottom four could get into the play-in and do some damage, I thought it was going to be New Zealand. I've said that for a long period of time. Um, and I still believed it going into this morning. The Anthony Lamb injury hurts them, and I don't think that they make the finals now. I think the six is set with Brisbane and Illawarra, um, Melbourne, Sydney, Tasmania, Perth. I think that's the six that goes in. But it's a huge blow for New Zealand. I feel like they've got two games in hand. They're one game outside the six right now. They were the team for me that I thought was going to make a move into this final six. Um I'm not sure if you saw any of the game today or if or anything, but I, I know that this is a huge, huge loss for the Breakers, who's been injury-plagued all season. They've got a loss in hand, and you know that the, the, the Cheatham injury, they had the McDowell-White injury. We, we, we don't need to back over the comments or the, the, the ideas we've had about the way they're coached. I... You never like to see a team miss out in the playoffs for a reason out of their control, and that's injuries. And a, a ruptured Achilles is exactly that. So Anthony Lamb, for me, was an all-star. He, he was one of the best five players in the league. I think he's a top uh, two player. Him and Cotton are the best yeah, two players in the competition, in my mind. There you go. Top five, top two. He, he's However you choose to measure them, he's that good. So losing him clearly hurts, and they turned up. It, it, yeah, they ended up beating Perth, which again underlines their talent. Um, yeah, yeah, it sits. It's a weird one for me. It sits a little bit uncomfortably because because of the comments I've made on previous podcasts. I didn't want them to make the playoffs. I don't think that type of culture deserves to be rewarded by playing playoffs, and I think. The talent they've had, they shouldn't even be in this conversation. They should have locked in a playoff spot weeks and weeks ago if they had have done things a little bit differently. But I agree with you. And the fact that we have Brisbane and Illawarra in the top six, yeah, rewind and listen back to some of the, the podcasts we've done. Um, I agree, it's set. I still think that this thing comes down to three. The, the Sydney loss... Um, they baffle me. The Sydney Kings baffle me. But um, staying on New Zealand, I think we're done. They're done. 
they can start looking for a new coach. They can start looking for new players. They can start looking towards next year. Do you think um, they get it? Do you think Modi Mayor's out at New Zealand? Let me answer that question with a question. If you lined up the the rosters in the NBL on talent, where would the breakers sit? Top three? I'd say top, probably top four, somewhere around that. And room. they've finished seventh, eighth. Seventh, yep. So, you know, it's... I think I think so, they've been extremely unlucky with injuries this season. I mean, they, they stick stuck with Cheatham and he was out, what, eight, eight weeks? Uh, Will McDowell-White, I feel like he's playing good basketball now, but for the first half of the season, playing through injuries, he wasn't there. And now um, Lamb, with his current injury, take everything else out, I think... I thought they had close to the best import lineup, the best import three of uh, Jackson Cartwright, Lamb and Cheatham. I thought they were the best three I, imports I in agree. the league. I'll, I'll bet you none of those three come back next year. Well, and that yeah. and that'll be the reason that they need a new leader in the team. There you go. Um, so. Mathematically, there's still a chance, but not likely. Phoenix, Adelaide, Cairns, their season is done. Obviously, Southeast Melbourne is the biggest disappointment out of those three teams. Um, I thought I really liked the way that Adelaide's played the last couple of weeks. And Me too. Cairns, Cairns is that plucky team that never really got on a run. I'm pretty sure they never won more than two games in a row this season. So... Um, for me, those three teams sort of deserve to be in the bottom three right now, um, with the way that they've played. And, uh, but, it, but this season has been crazy because all three of those teams have, uh, well, I know Adelaide and Cairns have definitely beaten Melbourne United before, um, the Phoenix, uh, not so much, but Adelaide and Cairns are still pretty talented teams in this competition. Cairns are, are always an interesting one for me, and I respect greatly what they do with their program. They bring in young talent, and, mate, I'll, I'll give you a pat on the back, and probably not many people who listen to this would understand the, the input you had when you come, even when Aaron Fern was there and when he left. You've got to have an identity, and the Cairns Taipans identity, and I know you were huge on this when in your time up there was to be young, to be talented, to give kids a chance to develop and, and be that underdog. Um, you know, I think they're bought into that, but that in itself just by description breeds inconsistency. Um, I watched the Cairns Taipans play in the preseason and I didn't have them as a team that would threaten and it turns out they haven't, but, you know, they... Taron Armstrong, for me, probably hasn't been as impactful as what I thought he might be um, to the extent where and other players that I, you know, import point guards, I think they would have bought in to be backup point guards in their mind behind Taron have had much bigger roles and turned out to be impactful players in the league. But if that's your top one or two players in the league, you're not going to be a playoff team. So Cairns have been really interesting. You, you mentioned Adelaide. And, and on the last podcast, we talked about coaches who lead men. Um, 
they don't necessarily need to be the best exes and those coaches. They need to lead men and surround themselves with people who are technically sound. I'd actually love for Scott Ninnis to stay and remain as a head coach of the Adelaide 36ers here. One thing I do know about Adelaide, I don't know, I, I believe about Adelaide, they support their own and they if you're not from Adelaide or you have, you're have you not a part of that 36ers program, it takes a lot more to prove that you deserve to be there. Scott Ninnis is, proves he's a 36er. Um, what he's been able to do, whether it's on par or not with what Justin Tatum's done with Illawarra, it's close. But the way they've competed, the way, the way they've played, what he's got out of the exact same roster that they had at the start of the season has been impressive. So I hope he sticks on. I hope Justin Tatum sticks on, which is different to what I thought at the start. I would have loved to have seen that job go to an Australian coach. But for me, the New Zealand Breakers job, I believe, will come up or should come up, as should the Sydney Kings, but that might be it. Well, for me, uh, Scotty Nennis has done a great job. I think he's won six of his last eight games. Uh, they lost today in Tasmania off the back of a double. And uh, if he's not the head coach, he should be the new uh, head of basketball operations, which will be a newly released role for the Adelaide 36ers this uh, next season. So either way, if he's head coach or head of basketball operations, I fully expect it. Um have you had much chatter about Bryce Cotton not getting calls during the week? Have you seen much of that doing the rounds on social media? Yes or I, no? I, I, just, a, just a yes or no before you start. Yes, but I didn't read it. Okay. As soon as I saw so, what the comments were about, I stopped reading. Okay. So John really has obviously said that Cotton isn't getting enough calls. Um, I flicked on the game today for Perth, New Zealand, and at the start of the coverage, Derek Rucker was commenting about that high-scoring imports have always got less calls than Australians. That's not a that's not an opinion. That's a fact. His words. Bryce Cotton currently gets to the free throw line more than any other player in the league. <laughs> yeah. um, that's why I, I would, stopped reading. I would suggest that um, there's lots of fouls on every single possession and on every single play that don't get called. And to think that Bryce Cotton doesn't get enough calls is, in my opinion, uh, ridiculous. I know I've had this conversation with Tim Gossage on air at SEN who asked the same question to me probably two or three games ago. The guys get into the free throw line more than anyone else in the league. Um, this is not a hate WA thing. This is not a hate and import thing. Um, Bryce is a hell of a player. I think he kicks his legs out on his shot. I, so there's definitely an advantage there for him, but he gets a lot of elevation at the same time. And you know what? To a degree, he gets looked after. I think what we've seen in the last two to three weeks is a level of physicality in the NBL that's lifted up a notch or two. Um, and I was interested to hear Jack McVeigh's comments before the game when they uh, they asked him if he had felt there'd been a rise in defensive pressure in the last two or three weeks. And he said, no, because this is what we train for since day one. We train like this all the time. So the intensity that we get in the game is the same as what we do at training Monday through to Friday. And I 
and he referenced New Zealand. It feel, the games are feeling more like us versus New Zealand every single game than what it did before. I think with Bryce Cotton, I think he gets calls. I don't think Americans don't get calls because they're American. I think that's a ridiculous statement within itself. Um, and I think uh, that the level of intensity over the last two or three weeks has lifted, which means the level of physicality across the board has been lifted. I'm interested to see how you've seen Bryce over the last couple of weeks and the comments made by really Rucker, etc. Oh, there's so many. And there's a lot to, uh, to unpack yeah. there. But um, First of all, what players say and what coaches say in the middle of the season should just be scrapped. Um, it's funny. I, I look back at some of the things I said as a player, some of the things I said as a coach, and you're looking for leverage for your own player, for your own good. It, 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 it's self-serving. I agree with um, that. With really, I think he's protecting yeah. his players, so I'm I'm sort of a, and and, and, and you know what, you, you, coaches tend to make comments like that to show the team internally that you got their back. That's how I read that, and I read nothing more. The, the imports part, no, I, I disagree entirely. Um, the, the physicality of the league increasing, I. I Oh, yeah, if the physicality of the league or the intent or the, the intensity that the league's being played at over the last few weeks has increased, I'd look to every single team and go, why the hell weren't you like that two months ago then? It's a 28-game season. Yeah, what the hell's wrong with you if you're waiting till now to increase your level of intensity? You know, my very quick conversational Eurostep, I can't stand when when you hear from teams, yeah, we played hard because it was someone's 300th game. Why aren't you like that every game? But why does it take something like that for you to play harder? And if you can play harder, why aren't you doing it all the time? Um, I, I think the conversation, and I said it on social media, we mentioned it here last week, comes back to the officiating itself, that the league has improved the resources that have invested into the players, the teams, the coaches has increased. That needs to be reflected in the officiating well, as well. It hasn't happened. I, I, since I've been retired and since I haven't been coaching and since I don't have a horse in the race, the referees are fighting a battle they can't win. They're given direction by a, they're part-time for the most part. B, they're given direction by people I don't believe should be directing a group of, of officials who are entirely, you know, entrusted with A, looking after the game, but B, looking after the league. Um, I would love to see more resources invested in the refereeing. But as I say that, that's not just Australia. You, you see the level of frustration in the NBA at the moment. You see the love, level of frustration in Europe. Uh, we need to the, the, the what we invest in the referees and the officiating has to keep up with how we invest that in the players and the team. So, um, can I can I make a quick did, did I miss on, something in yeah go no, ahead a quick comment about that little referee package that you've just encapsulated. I've landed on two things and they're the same thing. The communication from the players and coaches to the referees has gotten worse. And I think the communication from the referees to the players has gotten worse. 
Can I can um, I tell you a story, Kag? I'm going to yeah. jump in right here. When I was playing at the Dallas Mavericks, I had a couple of calls and I, I, I approached the referee for the first time. This was months in. And the referee looked me dead in the eye. And I've told a couple of referees this. And, um, yeah, we had Raul Kirsten on our NBA trip. We had Ray Hunt on our NBA trip last year. And I told them this. And they looked and they said, that's actually brilliant what this referee said to me in this moment. And this is nearly, God, it's 25 years ago. And I went up and I, I went to plead my case or argue with him. And I, I, I was emotional. I went straight up to him. And he said, young fella, turn and stand next to me and face the crowd. I said, what? He said, turn next to me and face the crowd. I don't want to be embarrassed and we don't need this to be confrontational. If you confront me and you embarrass me, I'll give you a tech and I won't talk to you. If you stand shoulder to shoulder and we can look in the same direction and have a conversation, you've got me for as long as you need me. That's brilliant. That's 25-plus years ago. That immediately diffused any emotion that I had, any anger I had, and we both ended up looking at it in the stands, and we had this chat. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're right. Good, thanks. It, it felt like a conversation. It didn't feel like an argument. Yep. In the heat of a moment when you're looking eye to eye and you confront a referee, the way that players and referees communicate during a game is poor. Mm-hmm. I, I think we need to take a leaf out of the, the referee's book and learn how to communicate better. And oftentimes it's exactly that. It's so simple, but no one's teaching this. I feel like the communication from the umpires has been caught poor referees. as well. Referees, umpires. It's not AFL yeah. women. Yeah, I yeah, know. Uh, but I think it's been poor on both ends, and I think it's just driven a wedge even further between the players, the coaches, and but 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 can the you remember, but if, the, if if the referees even today were and let's call the standard, the, I don't want to say it's poor. I want to say at the level it is today, and all you did was communicate better, but made exactly the same calls. You're in a so much better place. I I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more, but. Remove confrontation is my biggest... And ironically, years and years and years ago, I don't think I've even told you this. Here's what happens oh, when you have Jesus a few Christ. beers on a Sunday There's afternoon. A, a breaking I, news. A first, a, a first no, from Chris Anstey telling a story that I don't know. Go ahead, yeah. shock me. No, I actually applied for the head of referees years and years ago. I did not know because, this. Yeah, because I didn't think a referee should do it. I thought someone who'd played the game should do it, so I applied. Never got a call back. But it was something I was really passionate about because I think it could have I, – I still believe it can help the game. And I don't necessarily believe you need a referee coaching the referees. I think you need a panel that includes players, referees, and almost people who watch the game and absorb it as an entertainment package to understand what needs to be delivered and what the referee's responsibility is when a game starts. You would have been the Ted Lasso of umpire. Uh, referee bosses. That's what I think. Um, Sydney Kings, you touched on it earlier. They're they're hard to watch at the moment. There's so much talent on that team. Talking about teams with a lot of talent that aren't performing, I would put Sydney Kings at the top of that list. Um, I I, I think all you can ask of any coach or any group is to 
perform to your capacity or as close to your capacity as possible. I don't think the Kings have performed anywhere near what the capacity of that group of talent is this year. So, I mean, they've been really disappointing. Um, I don't know what happens. I I think Gordon should coach them next year. I think it's an easy solve. I don't know what that looks like financially. I don't what I don't know what Mahmoud's coach Mahmoud's package is. I'm not even suggesting he's a poor coach at all. He probably doesn't suit that team. He might not suit the city. I, I don't know what it is, but the fit's not right. It doesn't feel right. I think I've watched enough games to say that I think he's a poor coach. I think his timeouts are poor. I think his subbing is poor. I think his game plan is poor. I think his lack of timeouts when needed are poor and his direction to the group is poor from an outside perspective. Now, it's it's easy to say from the outside and the guys on the inside might love him. I, I don't know. And maybe we've become so used to Sydney Kings winning basketball games and doing it in a fashion that's enjoyable to watch. But I haven't enjoyed watching them at all this season. It's frustrating. Yeah. Because you see you, you see glimpses, but one thing that any coach should expect and you shouldn't have to coach is effort. The Sydney Kings don't play with effort. The, the day I, I, it, it looks like they expect their talent to win and it looks like they expect their individual skill sets to win. But there's no cohesion, there's no effort. And it just doesn't seem like they're all rowing in the same direction. I mean, you, you said frustrating. If you looked up in the dictionary the definition of frustrating, I'd swear that Denzel Valentine would be the definition of it. Because right, right, is that right next to Alan Williams's liability? Oh yes. I, <laughs> We've got two dictionary phrases in the in the Oxford Dictionary based on our podcast. This is fantastic. Yeah. He. He has a bad shot selection. I don't think he's a good shot in the first place, but his shot selection is right up there with Jordan Usher as frustrating at best. Uh, he's a liability on the defensive end. I don't know what he does. Like, for a guy that's mean in the NBA, usually an NBA guy has a certain quality that is he's really good at something. Uh, and you... Chris, you'd be the first person to be able to talk about, especially if you're a bench player, you're really a really good shot blocker or a really good rebounder, a really good rim-to-rim runner, you're a really good shooter, you're a really good defender, you're a really good passer, or you're a flat-out scorer. He's none of that. But that's why he's not in the NBA. Correct, but he's had a NBA gig before, and I look at his game and I'm like, well, what was he when he was in the NBA with the Chicago Bulls? I'm still not sure what he brought to the table because I know what he's bringing to the Sydney Kings is nil, nada, nothing, and is frustrating to watch. He's bringing a resume is what he's bringing. Um, you know, it's interesting. It goes, it goes both ways. The guys that you mentioned in the NBA who are great at one thing, and I was in Russia for three years and I've, I've watched European basketball for a long time. They're often the players 
when when that one thing is not good enough for the NBA that actually don't succeed internationally because they can't do enough of everything else. Um, you know, wh- one of the guys that I played against in my first year in Russia was actually Chris Gatling. And Chris Gatling, for a lot of people, was an NBA veteran who was very successful in the NBA. He couldn't play in Russia because he was asked to do more things than what he was asked to do in the NBA, which was a really defined role. So playing in the NBA, you know, whenever we recruit a player who's played NBA games, we celebrate it as an, as the NBL and we talk about how great our league is and that we're attracting NBA guys. That doesn't mean they'll be successful in the NBL. And I think Denzel Valentine's a very good example of that. I agree. Um, Last one on the NBL is uh, Damo Martin had his jersey retired tonight in Perth. Um, we don't have to speak much about this one. All that I wanted to say is a congratulations to Damo. He is one of the few guys that uh, you'd love to have as a teammate. Um, you hated playing against him, but you can't find a single person that would say a bad thing about about him and um, yeah, I think it's well deserved for him, and, and it shows that you don't have to be a scorer to be a legend of this game because uh, he he was just unreal in the way that he was able to dictate games, manipulate games uh, through his defense alone. So uh, to Damo, well done, mate, well deserved, and uh, just a champion of a bloke. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um... He, it's funny, of all the players that I've played against for a lot of years and never really knew well but respected like crazy, he would have been top of the list. Um, I actually got to, ch- to chat to him very briefly, ironically, when I was with you at the Perth Wildcats game when we had Luke Longley travelling around talking. Um, but I wrote an article I, I Put you know, Bill Simmons has his um, pantheon of great players in the NBA, and I thought, well, at least I can do a shrine. And I spent a lot of time, you know, tr- going back on my own recollections, my own thoughts, talking to people historically about the greatest players in NBL history. And part of that, of course, is you look at statistics. Damo was always going to be on that list of whatever order you put him in, in the greatest of all time in the NBL, he sits on that list. He's a, a, a champion. How many? God, he's won six. championship, six championships. He's six defensive uh, player of the year. Have they named, have they named the defensive player of the year after him yet? Yeah. Good. They needed to. Um, you wouldn't have seen but, this, Chris. You wouldn't have seen this, but uh, Matt Nielsen sent a video and uh, they were playing against Orlando. And Joe Ingles goes, mate, well done. Six championships, six defensive player of the years. 2008, you went undrafted. He was looking at the Wikipedia page. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good, yeah, good. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant by Joe, by the way. But, yeah, mate, uh, he, he's been unbelievable in what he got out of his body and what he was able to do. Uh, and a guy, I think he had three ACL injuries as well. Um, and a torn Achilles at some, or two ACLs and a torn Achilles, like, and Brian Conklin rearranged his face at one stage. Oh, you sure did. Um, just yeah, you know, you, you know what? There, there are some people that are so annoying because you can't find people who dislike them. 
he annoys me that you just can't find anyone that doesn't like him. Um, he's like Rupert Sapwell, who's an old teammate of mine. You, you go searching everywhere. Try, I dare you to try to find someone who doesn't like Rupert Sapwell. I dare you to find someone who doesn't like Damian Martin. But maybe even more important than that, I I don't reckon you'd ever find someone who's been around the NBL that doesn't respect Damian Martin like crazy. And I think that's why he's a champion. That's where he should be. He should sit very, very comfortably in the greatest NBL players of all time. I agree. Uh, we'll move over to the NBA. The reserves have been named. I'm going to go with the West first. And we're just going to talk about the glaring omissions from the West. So uh, the reserves... Are there any? Yes. Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, Devin Booker, Anthony Edwards, Steph Curry, Paul George, Carl Anthony Towns are your West reserves. Um, Let's go West first before we – even your tone gives away you don't believe Carl Anthony Towns should be in that team. um, And and I'm guessing you probably think De'Aaron Fox or DeMontis Sabonis should be on that list. I agree with that, yes. I think but, both of those guys have been incredible. I think that Carl Anthony Towns has been a good player on the best team in the NBA. Um, yeah, I, I just think that... Uh, I think that one of those two should have made it either Fox so, so, or So it was interesting because, you know what, I had a, a, a good mate, Nathan... Probably not listen. So, but um, he called me and said, "Robbed." I said, "Okay, who would have you know, Darren Fox or Sabonis were robbed?" Who would, and I said, "Who would have you taken out?" He said, "Carl Anthony Towns." I said, "Well, I could maybe. argue that you could take out Kawhi Leonard." I disagree. I, I, I think if you've watched the Clippers enough over the last three months, he's been incredible, and and he's been present. He's been available. He's played in these games, but. So just the other day, knowing that we'd get to this on this podcast, I threw a question up on Twitter. I said, if you had to choose between... so, And I'm going back to my quote that I always go to, comparison's a thief of joy. So I'm not asking who's better. But as it sits right now, who's actually more important to the Sacramento Kings? De'Aaron Fox or DeMontis Sabonis? And then the third... The third option I put in was who cares, it's only the Kings. And that actually got more votes than what I thought. But Sabonis was clearly the most important player in most people's minds. And I I tend to agree. I wouldn't want to watch him in an all-star game. But I do think one of those two deserves to be on that team, but not both. And And I don't know how you separate them. Sabonis would be about as useful in an all-star game as what I was when I played 91. I'm not an all-star game player, but uh, I I thought that probably more Sabonis should have deserved it, and I could have gone with Carl Anthony Towns or Kawhi in that. Um, over to the East, Jalen Brown, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brunson, Bam Adebayo, Julius Randle, Tyrese Maxey, and Banchero from the Orlando Magic. We know that Julius Randle will not play because of his dislocated shoulder. Who's the number one option for you to come into this East Reserves lineup? Before we do that, 
uh, we all we, we were mates with with Jamie Stabe and we had a chat over dinner tonight. If I asked you, and he's a Boston Celtics fan, so put your Boston Celtics cap on for a second. He would have said Derek White. If you had to list the most valuable Boston Celtics players without comment from one through four, what order would you list your the Boston Celtics players in? Uh, Tatum, one. Yeah. Probably Derek, uh, Derek White or Drew Holiday. They're two, three, and Pozinga. Uh, uh, well, I see there's five guys there that you can talk about. So Tatum. Probably Drew Holiday, Derek White, Porzingis, and then Brown. And Jalen Brown's an all-star. Yeah. Uh, that's the one for me. I, I don't think he's the second best or most valuable player on the Celtics, let alone an all-star in the NBA. Uh, I would have had Porzingis at two, just for the record, mm-hmm. for, the, for the difference that he makes to that team. So who comes in? Porzingis, I don't, <clears throat> I don't think Derek White's a good enough player to be an all-star. I think he's incredibly valuable to the Celtics. I don't think he's a good enough player, that, you know, that absolute top-level point guard. But I think Porzingis is at his best. So my, my answer is probably twofold. It might actually be him coming in. Um, but at the same point, I don't think Jalen Brown's an all-star. Neither do I. Uh, for the record, I think that Trey Young should be rewarded with an all-star. Um, I think he's been... He's really, so polarising, isn't he? He's polarising, but I think he's been really good this year. And so uh, so what level do you at least consider the defensive end? Because he's horrendous on the defensive end and his team struggles. There's no doubt what he's capable offensively, but at what stage do you at least consider... The defensive end. In an all-star game, you don't. Yeah, I know, but there's millions and millions of dollars on this. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a really interesting one and probably a conversation another time. This one wasn't one that we've written down, but he's got as many flaws in his game as he does strengths. He's never going to win. Trey Young's never going to be on a team that wins a championship. He'll retire with that one. It's undoubted. Um. You're calling him the DJ of, uh, and not Dijon Basile. Daniel, no, Daniel, Daniel Johnson, Johnson you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, Same thing. If you defend that badly, you'll never – if you defend that badly and you're one of the most important players on a team, your team will never win. Yeah. Yes. Um, question for you. Would you trade LeBron or for LeBron and Bronny – in the future, it's 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 such a tough question because there's a commercial element to this as well. If you wanted to trade for a forty-year-old player and bring in his son and do something historical, there are millions and millions and millions of dollars for your club to earn through having them there and doing something historical, but that you would think that that would have to be a team that has no championship aspirations. I don't think the Lakers will trade him. I don't know if LeBron will opt into his player option to end his contract. 
I don't think. I don't. I, I, don't I don't. I don't think. The, I don't think Bronny either because they're a win now right. sort of club. And, and I don't. You can be a win now club all you want with LeBron James, but LeBron James will never win another NBA championship. <laughs> Whatever club he's at, really, as long as he's making the money he makes and has the size of role he has in a team, he's one of the greatest of all time. Don't get me wrong, but he's forty years old. He's not going to win a championship being the number one or two option on a team. The only way LeBron would win a championship is being the three or four option on a team and having that IQ, that professionalism, that preparation, all of those things. So yeah, now he'll never win another NBA championship. Hear me but out. I don't but I don't but I don't think that's big news. Look at the look at and it's almost if if for those of you who get offended by that. Look at the young talent we've got coming through. If a 40-year-old player can be the one or two guy on a team, however great he is or has been, and win a championship over the best young talent on the planet we've got, that's detrimental to Luka Doncic, to Tyrese Halliburton, to all of the young talent we've got because they should be better than LeBron now at 39, 40 years old. I'm I'm just looking up something. I'm interested in what team uh, a certain team's draft pick status is in next one. And there's a team that has three first round draft picks in the upcoming draft. Who's that? Well, it's probably OKC, is it? The San Antonio Spurs. Or the Spurs right? now? No. Because Pop loves LeBron and LeBron loves Pop. Is there a world no. where this young team gets a senior mentor for Vic? Bronny. No, no, not for Vic. No, to, no to play with Vic, sorry, not to, to trade play, him away. Yes. To pl- to for him. To play with Vic? No, you hijack your future. Really? You, you, you're giving away three first-round draft picks for one year. <laughs> I'm not Why saying would... that they. I'm not saying that they would use. And and it's funny because like I've I've seen that Mikael Bridges is they're looking for five first round draft picks, which is like since the Rudy Gobert trade, like yeah. draft picks have just got out of control. Uh, and that was the new standard of what someone expected Shit. for. A, and Rudy Gobert to me, another guy that was on the fringe of being an all star player. Shit. But, I want to uh, date a supermodel. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, hey, um, last one to wrap this one up. Michael jo- uh, Porter Jr. <laughs> Michael Jordan. <laughs> no, Michael. Sorry, we've had a couple. Oh, of years. I've just read your notes and I'm cringing at what you're about to say. He's made references. The WNBA players are the equivalent of ping pong players or table tennis players That's versus just a stupid. tennis player. That's stupid. I mean, I'll, I'll be the first. I'll be the first person to say I haven't heard the audio in full of what he said. I've just read about it, and just pure stupidity. So, so let's just leave it. it. Let's not even give guy. it any time to breathe. Yeah. No. Um, hey, before you go, it's not on the list, but um, we we talked about Damian Martin before. Mm-hmm. Um, Another, another. I'm going to go with legend of the game, superstar of 
the NBL for a long, long time, Brad Newey. Um, I played with Newell's in, we played with Newell's in the 2008 Olympic Games. Yep. Um, he started his career at the Townsville Crocs with Ian Stacker, who saw something in Newell's that even the AIS at the time didn't see, although Newell's had represented the country as a junior. Um, you know, made an all-star game in the NBL early and has had an incredible career. We won't get into all the depths of that, but he'll announce his retirement over the next few weeks. This will be his last year at Melbourne United. Um, I hope, and I know that United will do the right thing by Newell's. They'll, they'll celebrate him. They'll let enough people thank him for his service. But for me, just another guy in the NBL who is a really good human being. Um, his career deserves to be celebrated. Back when he was young, he did some things that were unusual and uncommon with his skill set. So, Newell's, mate, congratulations on an incredible career. I know you probably won't listen to this, but somebody will probably post it somewhere. Congratulations, mate. Um, another really, really good one and someone who uh, deserves to be celebrated, mate. Uh, Newell's was a teammate of mine for a long time at the Boomers and uh, with the Boomers and just brought such a joy to everyone uh, and the way that he could get to the rim was awesome and if we've I've told this story um, once I've told it a million times and involved you me and Newell's um, at the time that we played against USA and uh, uh, you and I subbed on to the court and Newell's was shooting a free throw and uh, as we walk on the court LeBron points at me and says I've got Worthington he says Dwight to Dwight Howard you've got Anstey Cobes you've got Newley and at that point we thought it was pretty cool that they knew all our names but we weren't ready to give them that sort of respect and so we grabbed the back of their jerseys and I said Chris I've got number six. I had number 10. <laughs> you had 12, which was uh, Dwight 12, Howard. Was it? Yeah. And, and Newell's, you've got number 10. And Kobe Bryant said, uh, <laughs> you're not going to call us by our name. And I said, not today, number 10. And uh, I remember Newell's having a bit of a chuckle at that. Kobe definitely laughed at that. Um, but when it comes to uh, teammates, Newell's was just one of the best and always... Uh, rallying around the guys and, and getting the guys uh, enthusiastic for the game and the way that he's been able to continue to play out his NBL career um, year after year has just been amazing. So well done, Niels. You're, you're an absolute legend and uh, we wish you all the best, mate. Uh, on that note, mate, mate that we're, will we're be... Near, yeah, we're, we're done. But um, I got asked this before and, and someone told me to ask this who knows more about podcasts. You've probably switched off, but if you haven't, it means you like us, so thank you. Could you leave a little comment or a review in the podcast section? Give us five stars and uh, it will really help our, uh, our journey out in growing this thing even more. So uh, for the three or four of you that are still listening, that would be unreal. Um, whether I'll let you wrap up. Thanks, mate. We appreciate your time. As always, thank you all for listening and uh, we look forward to chatting to you again at, later down the track. Until later, knock, knock.